First Peter two eighteen through twenty five. Okay, will you stand with me and we'll pray and then we'll read together. Oh God, I pray that that as we stand to honor your word, God, that everything in our heart will just also be ready um, to receive what you will give us. God, we pray that um, God, you'll meet us here as we sing songs that are, are for you, as we listen to your scripture. God, we need instruction because apart from that, we don't know how to live. So please, Father, I pray that, that by your spirit, you'll bless us with an understanding of who you are so we can worship rightly. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. First Peter two eighteen through twenty five. You who are slaves must accept the authority of your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased with you when you do what is what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Of course, you get no credit for being patient if you are beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. You, once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Amen. You can sit down if you'd like. So today's sermon, uh, you can, I have two titles for it. One is Living Like Christ, and the other one is Called to Be Good Slaves. So one is a little nicer than the other one. Um, we live in the Northwest, which comes with it certain privileges, um, and certain expectations. Uh, an example is if you don't drink fair trade coffee, people just assume that you have stock in the slave trade. And we do serve fair trade coffee if you'd like to buy some. Even things like, you know, wearing real fur or, you know, shopping at Walmart are things that really, you know, some people really get upset about. And I'm not saying that's not worth getting upset about. Um, but, but in the Northwest, we, we really, I think, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to other places in the country. It seems like we really, I mean, Seattle and Portland really have this, this stake in... Um, in uh, social justice. And so what we're going to be talking about is hard within that because what Jesus isn't calling us to, to do is 
start either anarchy or rebellion against a system of injustice. But as we saw last week, and we'll fall into this week, we'll be seeking true change and seeing that happen in a way that we might like uh, to happen in a little more violent way. So, so this is where we begin. I'm going to take you guys through three points um, to understand what it looks like for us to be good slaves. Um, knowing, and, I, and I'm not, don't say this without a, a thorough knowledge of, of the baggage that the term slave has and, and how absolutely corrupt that system is. Um, these three points go like this. The first is submit to your masters. The second is why does this please God? And the third one is how is this possible? So, the first, submit to your masters. The way the, the verses go is this. Submit to your masters even if they are unreasonable. So submit to your masters even if what they're asking you to do is, it doesn't say unholy because we're not supposed to go against what is good and righteous. But submit to your masters even if they say, well, you need to be here from this time to this time. And you're like, that's just completely unreasonable. <laughs> so submit to your masters even if they are unreasonable. Submit to your masters even if their authority is absolute and they act with disregard to your personal welfare. This is all what we, we have here. The, the term master here is, it can also be translated lord. It's an absolute authority. So submit to your masters even if they have absolute authority and they act with disregard for you. Third, submit to your masters even if you suffer. So this takes some explaining, <laughs> right? If we just take this for what it's saying, and, and I believe it is saying these three things, uh, it's, it's tremendously difficult because, first of all, uh, we don't like it if it's happening either to ourselves or to someone else. So, so why? Why would this be asked of us? A, a couple of reasons... Um, that people have given traditionally for this is, well, that, that slavery back in this time where Peter's talking about is different somehow than the slavery we're familiar with. Um, and that's incorrect. It was just as terrible. Slavery in any form is very terrible. Um, it was just as terrible. Uh, historian Tacitus actually said, uh, records a story of 400 slaves being killed because of the the wrongdoing of one slave, right? So this is, this is a time, too, where, where slaves don't have regard um, any more than slaves have ever had regard. So why? Why would we do this? And why does it please God? As it says twice here in these verses, both in verse 19 and in verse 20. It's, 19 says, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right and patiently endure unfair treatment. Verse 20 ends with, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. So why does, why does this please God? And how do we understand as we're called to do something that just seems 
so uh, unpleasant, so uh, something just to me shouldn't be asked to do, right? Why, why would I be called to do that? Um, I want to clarify a couple things first that this isn't um, being asked of us because God agrees with slavery. First point. But I'm going to follow that with, as we talked about last week, God does not agree necessarily with our form of democracy either. Um, <laughs> some of you are like, oh my goodness. Um, when the angel of the Lord came to Joshua, so if you're familiar with the Exodus, God leads a large people out of slavery. He heard their cry. He's rescuing them from slavery. They come out of it, several million of them, and they're coming into a new land that they're going to possess. It's going to be their own land. And as they're, they're finally going to make that trek into the land, Joshua, who's the commander now of this great people, is, is going out. He's pretty exhausted. You know, he's been fighting a lot of battles. And so he goes out, and he's walking, and he sees this man with a large sword. And if you're the military type, if you see a guy with a large sword, and that's what you fight with, you, you know, you're ready for something to go down. So he was ready, and he goes... <laughs> He goes, whose side are you on? Are you on their side or our side? And what is the, what is the, well, who he figures out is the angel of the Lord. What does the angel of the Lord respond? <laughs> I'm on neither side. Right? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. Right? And so this is helpful as we come into this. And so, so oftentimes when we, we take down one system and just be like, God isn't with that system because they promote these things. God isn't with the communists because they do this. Well, is God necessarily with, with the American government? Um, not necessarily, right? If, if you read it in this way, just as God has rescued this huge people, known as God's people, from Egypt and is bringing them into the promised land, whose side is he on? I'm the commander of the Lord's army. I'm, the commander of, I'm not the commander of your army, right? I'm not taking sides here. God glorifies those that honor him. It says in scripture, it says, those that honor me, I will honor. And so, and so just to clarify, one of the reasons why um, we find in Jesus is, he, is he's walking around. Um, it says clearly, it says he didn't entrust himself to men because he knew what was in the hearts of men. And so, Oftentimes, what we put up to be our safety net, God is looking right through, right? So even if we, we create um, a beautiful structure that even begins in a very honoring way, um, it can become something because of our own weakness that doesn't bring any honor to him. Um, a good example of that is, as you'll even find in churches that might begin in a very God-honoring way, but in the end, they don't end up honoring him. Um, so God honors those that honor him. Um, 
we're gonna, I want to take this really quick in, in the context of the whole, the whole passage that we're reading in because we won't get any, any concept of what's going on unless we see it there. In, in chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12, it says this, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So context here. There's a couple things that it gives us for context. That your residency isn't here. If you're a, a believer, if you're a child of God, that your residency isn't here. Um, so oftentimes, what we're, what we're staking claim to um, isn't necessarily what we should be staking claim to. The second is um, that once you become a believer, because oftentimes when people say, well, our residency isn't here, then, then we just live with this otherworldly mindset. Um, what happens here is it says, you are strangers and aliens, so... Live your life regarding those that are not believers, that don't live with the residency in heaven, that, that don't understand that we're just strangers here. So those that are, are toiling, spending all their energy to create a kingdom on this earth, live your life in such a way that they, they can see what is satisfying because they're constantly going to be dissatisfied with what they're trying to build. Does that make sense? So now that you're someone who's going like, man, I have a good king, Jesus, that I serve. He's a good master. He loves me. He cares for me. Your responsibility now, because you still live on the earth, um, that's what we do, is, <laughs> is to then live in such a way that, that you're extending, you, you're... You're seeking every way to extend that citizenship to other people, right? So when people are going, I'm just dissatisfied. You're going, well, you can also, you can also submit your life to the good King Jesus, right? You don't have to serve anymore this kingdom you're trying to build or, or you know, that, that you now can become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Um, in these verses, these two verses, it talks about waging war against... Um, it says it talks about the things that wage war against your soul. Um, interesting talking about uh, Israel being led out of Egypt into Canaan. In Judges, it talks about some of the tribes of the Canaanites being left in Canaan for a particular reason. And that reason was, in, in Judges 3, it says, These people were left to test Israel to see whether they would obey the commands that had been given to their ancestors through Moses. And so oftentimes, while we try to, and I'll talk about this in a second, oftentimes while we try to create now for ourselves the comfort that we feel like we need so we can worship, we're absolutely missing out on what God's asking us to do. Um, and so the, the last reason I'm going to talk about why, why does this please God is because it glorifies him by showing people where your satisfaction truly lies. If you look around you at the culture that we live in, 
and I want you to maybe, you can close your eyes if you'd like. I really want you to think about, uh, if, if you just would look at maybe, I mean, you think about what, what the, maybe the clearest expressions of our culture are, whether it's the advertising, the conversations, um, movies, I don't know what you think of as being the clearest representation of our culture. But think about that and think, um, does, this, does this, what we are selling and what we're, we're as a culture as a whole, continuing to, um, to pursue and want to identify ourselves with, is that something that is leading to greater satisfaction or is that something that is leading to greater dissatisfaction? Just very honestly, right, if we look at that. <laughs> right? In our pop culture, is this something that we are leading ourselves to what is, has greater and greater satisfaction or is it leading us to greater and greater dissatisfaction? So we live in a time where we've never had more freedom, and I, I believe this, that we've never had more freedom to speak or act however we would like to. And, and we, we celebrate that, right? We love our amendments. And often if you are profane or vulgar, in the name of expression, you are given more grace than if you stand against that in order to protect innocence. So in what we are, what we are increasing to build with our culture is a culture that, that is so in so many ways trying hard to seek satisfaction through freeing us to do what we would like to do. Right? And we're, we're pursuing that so hard and we're saying, I'm just free to, I'm free to do whatever. I could, I could cuss you guys out right now. And I'm free to do that. Right? It's my amendment. Right? <laughs> it's my rights. I'm not going to do it. Don't worry. Right? So we, we, this, is, this is the culture, this is the air we breathe living here, right? And we sing God, I mean, this, is, this sounds really hard, we sing God bless America, and I do, I love living in this country. I love living in the Northwest. If you ask anyone, I love Bremerton, right? <laughs> but, but we can't continue to think because, because we have a name, right, like, like America, or we have... We have God in our anthems or our pledges, right? That, that we are honoring him. What honors God? And I think, I think that is the, the core of what we're dealing with here. What honors God and why it is so hard for us when we go from this living as foreigners and aliens and we're like, that's sweet because I love vacations, right? Um, to this point of like, honor those who are difficult, Right? And that's what we went through last week and this week. Right? Honor those who are in authority over you in, the, in politics, right? in the government structure. So as we're citizens of, in America, what do we do? Well, we, we seek to honor them. Right? We, we honor them. We pray for them. We love them. We are, we are the best citizens possible. Right? And then there's people who, who might even feel subject in some ways, slaves in some ways. What leads to what will lead to satisfaction versus what will lead to dissatisfaction and it is not merely rebellion against that system and God is showing us a vastly different way what what way is that
Um, I, I want to read to you guys an excerpt from possibly my favorite book. Um, and it's going to be like story time. It's Uncle Tom's Cabin. Right? I, I love this book. I, I recommend books to you guys, but I, if you have not read this, read this. Um, and I, So what will bring that change isn't merely re- rebellion, but it is an absolute submission to Jesus Christ. Um, and this is, you'll see it played out in a really beautiful way. I, I hope you guys enjoy stories being read to you, because I'm, I'm going to read a fairly lengthy excerpt from this. And it's near the very end of the book, and it won't ruin it because there's so many good parts in it. Um, but this is, this is a point when, when Uncle Tom, who is, is the lead character in this, um, is finally this point where he's gone through different masters, and he's finally at a master where he'll, meet, he'll finally die. Sorry if that's like a breaker for you guys. I know that's kind of like a spoiler in the story. but um, And, and he's, been, he's already um, faced severe um, punishment right, for not really doing anything wrong. Just the guy's just a very angry man and is taking this out on, on Uncle Tom. And this is where we find him. It says, when Tom stood face to face with his persecutor and heard his threats and thought in his very soul that his hour had come, his heart swelled bravely in him, and he thought he could bear torture and fire, bear anything with the vision of Jesus in heaven, but just a step beyond. But when he was gone and the present excitement passed off, came back the pain of his bruised and weary limbs came back the sense of his utterly degraded, hopeless, forlorn estate, and the day passed wearily enough. Long before his wounds were healed, Legree, who is his master, insisted that he should be put in the regular field work, and then came day after day of pain and weariness, aggravated by every kind of injustice and indignity that the ill will of a mean, malicious mind could devise. Whoever in our circumstances has made trial of pain even with all alleviation, which for us usually attend it, must know the er irritation that comes with it. Tom no longer wondered at the habitual surliness of his associates. Nay, he found the... Sorry, this is some big words. (laughs) He found the placid, sunny temper which had been the habitude of his life broken in on and surely strained by the inroads of the same thing Get this, he said he had flattered himself on the leisure of reading his Bible, but there was no such leisure in there. In the height of the season, his master did not hesitate to press all his hands through Sundays and weekdays alike. And why why shouldn't he? He made good money from cotton. At first, Tom used to read a verse or two of his Bible by the flicker of the fire. After he returned from his daily toil, but after the cruel treatment he received, he used to come home so exhausted that his head swam and his eyes failed when he tried to read, and he would stretch out exhausted and fall asleep. And so this is him. So absolutely pressed to the point of not even being able to read the scripture. And this is where Tom lay. who's just this beautiful character throughout the whole book. And when a heavy weight presses the soul to the lowest level at which endurance is possible... There is an instant and desperate effort of every physical and moral nerve to throw off that weight. 
and hence the heaviest anguish often precedes a return tide of joy and courage. So is it now with Tom. Get this, it says, the atheistic taunts of his cruel master sank his before dejected soul to the lowest ebb. And though the hand of faith still held to the eternal rock, it was with a numb, despairing grasp. Do you get that? So this last grasp he feels he's holding on. Tom sat like one stunned at the fire. Suddenly, everything around him seemed to fade, and a vision rose before him of one crowned with thorns, buffeted and bleeding. Tom gazed with awe and wonder at the majestic patience of the face. The deep, pathetic eyes thrilled him to the inmost heart. His soul woke as with a flood of emotion, and he stretched out his hand and fell upon his knee. When gradually the vision changed, the sharp thorns became rays of glory, and in splendor inconceivable, he saw the same face bending compassionately towards him, and the voice said, He that overcometh shall sit down with me on my throne, even as I also overcame, and am sat down at the Father's side. So, sorry, that was, that was long, probably some words that you're not familiar with. Um, but what I want you to get from this is how this is possible as we go into this next portion. It's possible because of this. Because we are asked, as Christians, not to be leaders as much as we're called to be followers. And the one that we are following is one who endured shame, and by his wounds we are healed. And so as we're called to follow him, and and this this is where... um, This is where, unless you're at the point of saying, what truly satisfies the Christian message would seem really, really strange. Because because as as Jesus is, is calling his disciples, even before he was crucified, to come deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. Right? That that is that is the call to be a Christian. Um, And the reason I think that it's hard for us even, um, even now is, is, because, um, is because of the way that we've, we've tried to fashion our worship. And so it excludes a lot of the things that, that we're actually called to experience. Um, Just to bring it to a lesser level, um, if, you, if you look on for like statistics about workplace satisfaction, it's pretty low. Um, if for 25 and under, only 36% of workers are happy and they're satisfied with their jobs. Right? Only 36%, that's pretty low. So that means... <laughs> So that means when we talk about like the difficulties that you might face in a work week, that means that over 60 of you are like raising your hands like, like I'm worshiping now, like this is, yeah. Like you're, you're speaking my language, right? I'm so dissatisfied. Save me from my dissatisfaction, right? <laughs> and, so, and so we create for ourselves what it could look like for us to really be satisfied. And then we're like, so then I'm saved by Jesus, so, 
So, so he's, he's leading, me, leading me to the water of satisfaction. So that probably means I think I feel called now to leave my workplace. Right? What this, so what this could look like is the, the, the ch- early church is made up of this eclectic bunch of people who are mostly slaves, lower class, but then there's this, this weird flavoring of people who are like, like high government officials and not a, lot of lower, not a lot of middle class going on there. And so Peter's writing to a people that know this. They're here. And so he's saying, when you're saved, it doesn't mean that it gives you a get-out-of-jail-free card, right? But now that you're saved and you found satisfaction, not necessarily in your freedom right now, your physical freedom, but you found freedom in Jesus Christ that your soul now sings, Now, what are you thinking will lead your master to also sing in that way? Right? And, and this is what Jesus asking us to do. He's not asking us to do something easy. Right? And oh, if he would. And so, so what makes this all possible? Two things. For some of you, for some of us, I'll say it is an impossibility to act in this way. It is an impossibility to act in a way other than seeking our own satisfaction and maybe rebelling or throwing off anything that we don't like. And the reason is that consider Peter before and after this transformation of the cross. Everything kind of hinges on the cross in the Bible and in history. So before the cross, this is what Peter was like, right? Peter thought he had been taken on by Jesus to be sort of a... a, PR guy, right? Public relations. And so he, he took his job very seriously. And so he, he disagreed with a lot of Jesus's understandings about how this movement should work. And so when Jesus talked about things like a cross, what would Peter do? He'd freak out. Right? He'd be like, no, no, don't talk about that. People, people get scared, right? Jesus, you, you can't do that. Because Peter had not yet realized what Jesus' true intentions were. And, and, um, and I think that's very similar to a lot of us who is an impossibility to ever seek satisfaction in Christ alone, worshiping him regardless of our circumstances right now because of this. Because we, we can only worship when everything is just right. If someone's crying, if a child's crying in the back, we're like, if they don't... If they don't get that kid quiet, I'm not coming back, right? I cannot concentrate, right? <laughs> um, unless we've fashioned, right? And this is what we do in a lot of, in a lot of religions, right? Unless we fashion the environment correctly, right? Unless there's nice lighting, right? That will make my face constantly look tan or, um, or things like that. Unless, unless there's that, then we're not engaging spiritually, Right? We have such a terrible understanding of what it means to engage spiritually, I think, in our culture. Because we need everything just right. Right? That's not how it is at all. 
So oftentimes we become poor comforters when someone else comes up and they're struggling with something. When they're struggling in work, they're struggling with something else. They're having such a hard time. And, and we've, I've talked about this with people lately. Somebody comes up and they're just like, oh, I'm just having this hard time. And oftentimes we're these terrible comforters because what we'll do is be like, well, let's plan an exit strategy. You know, let's just, let's just do that right now because I think God's calling you. You know, that's too hard. That's not what we find in Scripture at all. What we find in Scripture is, well, how, how are you going to worship there, right, first, right? I, I don't, and I've talked to some people about this before, like, I don't want people coming to our church from a different church just because they, like, had some weird preferences, <laughs> right? Man, man, God forbid that we divide the body like that, Right? Because, because you have a silly preference, right? How shameful of us if we are hindered from worshiping because we don't like music styles, right? How, how terrible of us if, if our spirituality is so based upon our comfort because we're not called to comfort, right? We're called to follow one who brings true satisfaction, but he is leading in a way that walks straight through a cross. Right? So the system that Jesus overthrew first and foremost was the broken system of religious coping, and he reestablished the way of true peace, which is through relationship with God. Right? So, and we've talked about this before, when, when Jesus came, the system that he was overthrowing wasn't, wasn't the political system, wasn't the worldly kingdom or anything like that. What he was overthrowing was our idea of, of religious coping, right? Of how we can get by to be most comfortable through our time here, right? Whatever that looks like, whatever that means. So he overthrew it, and he said things like this, like, Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Right? And, and he prayed so earnestly and honestly because he felt, he felt the tension and the strain of that suffering that he would say, if Father, God, if you can't take this cup from me, but if, if not, may your will be done. Right? And so he entrusted himself to the Father Right? Who could what save him from death? So it is only possible for those that follow. So it is impossible for some because they, they aren't following Jesus. <laughs> They're just following whatever way leads to the most quick and immediate comfort. And, but it is only possible for those who hear and respond to Jesus' call, come follow me. And I'll change your life and I'll make you people that are calling others too. Um, there's a story uh, that, of Peter's transformation in John 21, and this is what it looked like. I share this story probably once every couple months because I love it, and, it's, and it really helped me understand Peter's transformation. And, and since we're in a book, 1 Peter, that Peter wrote, this is what it looked like. He, he had denied Jesus three times, remember, because he didn't really work out being Jesus' PR guy because he didn't really understand Jesus' mission. And, and so he denied him three times. He was like, I, this is too much for me. I'm stepping back. And so he stepped back. Jesus died. Jesus rose again. And then and Peter is just, he's, 
broken up. Because he realized Jesus and him all along were on, were on different missions, right? And so, so Jesus comes back to Peter, and Jesus says to Peter, you know, you're, you are still the guy I'm working with, right? Jesus didn't just get rid of Peter because he, he messed up. But Peter, Jesus sticks with Peter, and he sits down with Peter, and he goes, he goes, Peter, do you love me? And the word there literally is, Agape, do you love me like God loves? And Peter's response is, I love you, phileo. I love you like a brother. I, don't, I, I realize now that I can't love you like this is calling me to love, right? Like you are calling me to love. I realize I can't do that. And then what do you say? So feed my sheep. Jesus says, feed my sheep. Do you love me, Peter, like God loves? The second time, no. I, I just love you like a brother can love. That's all I'm capable of. That's all I'm capable of. So when we read this, we're like, I'm not capable of loving my boss. <laughs> right? And so when God is asking you, do you love like God loves? And your response is, I don't. <laughs> right? I, I don't feel capable of that. Jesus' last response, do you love me like a brother? And Peter says, yes, that's all. That's that's the only way I know how to love. That's the only way I'm capable of loving is like a brother. I can't love like God loves. Jesus, what I see you doing, I can't do. So how, how do I do that? And then the end of John 21 where this story is going on, it says that Jesus again simply responds, asks of him, follow me. Right After that whole story, he says, follow me. So Jesus is leading, and what we are called to do is to follow. And this, so this beautiful song erupts at the end of this. As you see Jesus asking you to be a good citizen of a government that you might not always agree with, or be a good servant of a boss that just might use you in ways that you're just like, are hard? Right? And you say, I, God, you're asking me to love like you, and I can't love like you, right? So if you get to the end of that portion, and you're like, Peter, you are crazy. <laughs> I just can't do that. And so it erupts in this song that is taken from Isaiah 53. And this is, this is the song. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sin in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And so when you come to the end of this and you're just like, wow, like... God, you're asking me to do things I can't do. I, I can't even begin to do. I can't even begin to fathom doing that. I don't even want to begin to fathom doing that. <sighs> and we get so overwhelmed. And what's so helpful here is what Peter does is he brings us back. He's just like, you, you already are thinking about yourself again. <laughs> right? And so he, he points, he like grabs you by the collar and he points you again to Jesus Christ. And remember, what this whole sermon series is called is a living hope. 
And what has transformed Peter from being the guy who when Jesus talked about crucifixion, him going like, don't know. That's not what we're doing. That's not our plan. To being someone who in writing a book to a, a, a church made up of slaves, people living in, under a government that's persecuting them, that he can write this, is because this transformation has happened in him when from a man who feared anything that was beyond his comfort zone to being a man who eventually would get crucified upside down, right? That's what happened to Peter. Is because he was a man who finally met the living Christ. Not a Christ who was still dead, not a Christ of theory, not a Christ of mere theology. It was a Christ who is, was God and created the world through everything was created, came down to the world, lived in it, he saw him shared food with, right? He saw that Christ buried, and with that Christ was buried all Peter's doubts, because when he saw him raised again, he thought, anything, I'll do anything, right? He was transformed because God had visited, died, and raised. Why? It says it here. Because by his wounds you are healed. When he died, he took care of your sin, right? And so it's amazing. All these things that we are still wrestling with, and I wrestle with while I I deal with this text, and I'm just like, "Ah, this is so hard for me, right? Because I have a hard time getting past my selfishness, right? And I keep reading this going like, how am I going to do this? I can't do this. I don't know if you guys are ever there. Amen, so I realize I'm not just talking to myself. Um, right? And so we, we constantly are just like interpreting the scriptures through our own difficulties. Not realizing that, that what Peter ends up holding to is an Old Testament prophecy that was fulfilled. Right? <laughs> I see in Jesus God's plan all along. Right? And, and he saw that fulfilled. And so he has in Christ a living hope. And so where he's putting all his satisfaction, his desire, his delight, is right here in a man who did not retaliate when he was insulted, even though he was God. Imagine this. That you... Right? That, that you... Are the, are the boss of a large corporation and you are walking on the streets and, and you, you trip and you scrape your knee and you get a little, you know, a little scuff on your jeans and, and someone's like, <laughs> bum, right? And just throws a remark at you like that. What are you going to do? Yeah, you know what? I manage billions of dollars, sir, right? So, but you have Jesus who's hanging on a cross, God of the world, Right? Who they're saying, oh, you saved others, but you can't save yourself. Right? So they're heaping these sort of insults on him, and what does he do? Does he retaliate? No. He, at that moment, is bearing their sin that they're heaping on him. Wrap your mind around that. Right? And so then what you have is him calling us to follow that good master. By by doing what? by being good citizens, by when you go to work, right? When you go to work, you work your best and your hardest. Why? Because you are showing them the man that they 
heaped insults on on the cross, right? But did not retaliate. But instead of retaliating, he entrusted himself to God, and he personally carried our sins on his body in those moments, right? So that by his wounds we can be healed. Do you feel wounded when someone insults you? Right? That was healed in Jesus on the cross. And the reason why so often in our religious places and spaces, why we create places of comfort rather than that are really dealing with healing, right? Healing from real genuine pain is because is because we, we shirk away from that again. Rather than letting him have the places where we fear and are wounded, right? And so we don't become these people that are, are able to exalt and honor God wherever we are. And, and I, I want that for all of us. Um, I hope you guys do too. Um, that we can be a church where... Man, when, when you come in and you're like, and you guys might come in, you know, a lot of you guys work here, right? And so if you come in and you're like, man, Daniel was grumpy this morning, right? <laughs> you still are like, I get grumpy, I do. And, and that we're, we still are working together to honor God, right? Man, and if you don't work here, you might work in the shipyard, and your boss just doesn't give a hoot about you at all. But you're, you are honoring him in such a way that, man, he feels honored. And he, he's wondering, why would this person who I've treated so poorly act in such a loving way towards me? Right? Do you think they process those things? I guarantee you they process those things. Right? <laughs> so God is calling us to this together. And what is, what is comfort for us is this last verse. Because you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Feel safe there, right? Don't feel safe in merely this this place that you have tried to create for your own safety that can in an instant be taken from you. But entrust yourself to the one who can guard your souls. And that, that's the call that Jesus even made, right? When he asked you to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow. It's really beautiful because the way he ends that is, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll find it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, yet lose your soul, right? What benefit do you gain if you flip off your boss, if in some ways you're learning in that moment how to honor someone who's difficult, right? right? And in some way, you're distancing yourself from the man who has heaped insults on so that by his wounds you could be healed, right? So let's, as a church, not distance ourselves, giving false comfort, other things like that, but, but come closer to that person of Jesus Christ and find the possibility um, to really love in ways that we don't feel capable of love because we're following him. So, um, thank you guys for, for letting me yell at you for a little while. Um, pray with me, and then, then we'll sing together. And, I, and uh, Nate and I and Aaron actually got together last night. We were talking about, about us here and, just, and worship and what that looks for us. Um, 
because it's important. We, we really take it seriously, and, and we want these moments um, to be where we're learning to be a church together, a church that is a body of the head, Jesus Christ. Um, so you don't feel like your Sunday mornings are replaceable. And part of, that, part of that's us, right, what we do, that we're, we're preaching you the gospel, that we're preaching you the truth, and that we're, when we sing, we're bringing to you guys what we truly, authentically believe is truth, and we're praising a God who is real and there. Um, but part of it's as you guys come, right? We have a culture in our churches today that allows people to just like run around to different churches or do different things like that. And, and the call here is that we've talked about is, is it called to be known, right? So if you're grumpy, you know, you're, there's a people that know you, right? And you can go to them and you can ask them, pray for me because I'm, I'm having a hard time, right? And, and so I really ask you guys, as, you, as you're here, to really um, to worship with us, you know, however, however that's an expression to you. There's a lot of different cultures. Um, if if you, that means, like, getting up and, like, you know, like, do it. <laughs> um, if you play a tambourine, play it well. That's all I ask. <laughs> Um, <laughs> but, but really, so as, as we come and we're learning, we're learning as a community to be healed together, right? By his wounds, we are healed. We're learning to be healed together. And we're learning to work through these difficult things together. Um, that then, then we can worship together. And so these times, even on Sunday mornings, aren't replaceable for you. But there's something that you're coming and you're like, man, I... I feel like when we talk about God that, that we're not just talking about like a philosophy, but we're talking about a Jesus, a real living Jesus that we are, we're following together. And that you, these are people here that you can link arms with, you know, that you can link arms with. So if you're struggling, you don't just have to press through it by yourself, right? Um, if you feel like cussing out your boss, cuss, cuss me out. Um, I'll put the phone on mute, or like I won't pull it away, you know, and not listen. But, but you know, where are people that can walk through things together, pray for things together? Um, and so we are praying for not only our healing, as we're learning to wrestle through those things together, but pray for the healing of our community. Man, God, we pray for that boss, right? We pray for our government, right? And, and that is how the true change is coming. And we can participate in that together. So pray with me and then we'll sing together. Oh God, uh, we pray, Father, that, um, that in all things that we are genuinely coming to you. Um, we're not like little children who have a scraped knee that just wail outside, but we, we actually come in and <laughs> to the guardian and shepherd of our souls, um, and we're learning to be loved in a way that's everlasting and to share that with all the easy and difficult people in our lives. God, I pray that that the words that have been spoken in your honor today, God, that you would plant them in our hearts, that will transform us from this day forward to be people that look like Jesus Christ as we follow him. God, open us 
now to worship you in beautiful ways. We pray um, in the name of Jesus. Amen.